Welcome back to the Metal Tech Podcast. Nate Antetomaso up here in Chicago, Illinois, joined by a whole motley crew down in Kentucky today. We got my co-host, my buddy, my pal, my friend, Evan Knowles in Lexington. Also in Lexington, we got Logan Jones, our producer. And in Louisville, we got Nico Ferreira, our biz dev dude, biz dev consultant, biz dev something. We're doing a little bit of a different episode today. We're just going to kind of talk about what we've been up to and then talk about some tech stories. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the tech world right now. Really big news. Some of the biggest news of the year, really. Yeah. You got, uh, we're going to got a lineup of uh, the WeWork story. Mm-hmm. We've got the Facebook versus Twitter political ad argument. Uh, and then we'll finish up with this Fitbit acquisition. Yeah. We've done a couple of these like news roundtables before. And I think they're always fun because we can like share a little bit more insight on our side. And I think people really enjoy them because we're doing more kind of current events versus just doing a deep dive about one company. So I'm excited to go through some of these stories. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but first off, let's talk about ourselves because we like to do that. Uh, we've got some new equipment we've been experimenting with. We've been uh, up in our production game. I, I think the the podcast has been going really well. Yeah. Shout out to Awesome Inc. and Garrett Farbach for letting us use their equipment, even though we've experienced a little bit of growing pains with that, with uh, me <laughs> using the wrong input last week. I'm sure some of some of the people who listened to Tony's episode and then our most recent episode noticed a stark difference. <laughs> it's a little bit different when he actually used the mic versus a MacBook. <laughs> yeah, that, that helps to, to have it on the right input for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, all the pictures that you're taking and everything, we actually look like a legit production now. Instead of what I look like every day, just sitting here in front of my computer with some ugly ass headphones on. If you can't be good, look yeah. good. <laughs> I'm neither. So. <laughs> yeah, we got to start. <clears throat> we got a long way to go, though. With we still got a long way to go. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. learning every episode, so it's good. Mm-hmm. We're starting to do um, some video stuff, which we're excited to get some more video content. I feel like we've been saying that forever. I think our first episode, we said we were going to start posting videos on Facebook. But we're actually doing it smart now and try and figuring out ways to to provide some valuable content outside of the main podcast. So whether that's in December or at the start of our season three next year, which is crazy to think about, we'll have a lot of cool stuff coming up. Yeah, for sure. I think it's important for us to start getting video so people can consume this in more of a visual way, but also consume it on Facebook and YouTube and mm-hmm. Instagram, you know, TV in a different way. Yeah, for sure. Um, but let's jump into some news. I think probably the biggest story in the tech world right now, everybody can think about is WeWork. I know, Evan, you have some thoughts off the top. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So, you know, we had a episode previously all about WeWork. Um, it's, a, it's a great episode where we took a deep dive into WeWork. So if you don't know what WeWork is, go listen to that episode and you might understand how uh, big this news is that we're about to talk about because it's a pretty big deal. Um, essentially what has happened is WeWork has grown extremely, extremely fast. 
And through that growth period, they've raised billions and billions of dollars. Uh, and they haven't been making any money, which, you know, in the tech space right now in the ecosystem is not a you know, crazy thing to say. Most companies yeah. don't make money, even the ones that are going public are losing a lot of money. So that's not a big deal. But the, the big problem is they never really feel, figured out how to get to profit, but they kept raising money. And the company that primarily was giving them a lot of money was a company called SoftBank, their Japanese investment bank. And they're, they've invested billions and billions of dollars uh, in WeWork. Uh, they have an, a, a fund that's called the Vision Fund yep. uh, that, they're in, in, that they're investing into startups that are mainly focused on artificial intelligence, but many, uh, many, many platforms. But WeWork is one of the bigger ones. Uh, and so WeWork hasn't been able to make money or have really a path to making money yet. Uh, they were about to go public, which would have been a disaster. That's kind of what started the whole thing is them. Yeah. yeah Cause they basically filed their reports and their financials and they were really bad. And it was very clear they were not going to make money anytime soon. And at one point they were valued at $47 billion. Uh, and this is kind of a general problem in the tech space right now is a lot of these companies are Basically, money is cheap, and they're raising all this crazy money. Um, so they were at one point worth $47 billion. Mm -hmm. And after a failed IPO, uh, SoftBank essentially bought them for one point or for $7.5 billion. So it's about a, uh, what is that? What's, um, what's the percentage of that? I can't do math in my head right now. Yeah, I'm not good at that either. What multiple it's is like that? 39, $39 billion less than... Uh... And it was valued a little while ago. <laughs> That's an insane amount. Yeah. So a huge failure. Huge failure on the behalf of the leadership team at WeWork, mainly the CEO. Mm -hmm. uh, I personally believe that the model of WeWork is uh, really great. Co-working is uh, clearly something that's the future of how people work. Uh, they have really built a great environment that people want to work in. It's just they never figured out how to make uh, repeatable money on it, you know? So yeah. it's tough. What do, you, what do you guys think? Uh, well, I, you know, I'm down at Austin Inc. I obviously see the value of co-working every day, the community that gets built down there and the opportunities that wouldn't blossom otherwise. Um, I read a, an, an interesting article after, after all this came down that basically said that WeWork was going to be out of cash in 13 months if they continue at the same burn rate. And I, I think that's just insane when you think about how quickly they were going through all this cash that they raised and, you know, buying all these crazy luxurious locations all around the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, something that I also read that was a little sketchy about um, Adam Newman, their CEO, is that... Oh, that's a whole nother story. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, that's completely Maybe this will be a good transition into that. But mm -hmm. he was essentially buying uh, these buildings with the intention of WeWork buying them. He was buying them personally and then having the company buy the buildings from him. So kind of siphoning money or lease, lease from him, lease buy him. him. Yeah. Yeah. Lease from him. That's what I meant. Yeah. So kind of siphoning money out of his own company in just a sketchy way, just kind of a, I don't know. I think he also like personally trademarked the we company, um, trademark, I guess. And then yeah. licensed that out to the company as well. It's like, this guy was, he's like triple dipping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And what he uh, he got away with like three billion dollars too, so yeah. it was a good payday for him. Yeah, part of that SoftBank acquisition they saved the day with a few a uh, few weeks ago. Uh, 
came with like a $1.7 billion payout or something like that. It was something, something insane. Yeah. So they basically paid him to leave. Yeah. Yeah. My thought on like just the whole situation in general, and this might play into like a bigger conversation about what a startup is and what those valuations should be in general. But like at the end of the day, if really break down, we work and it's day-to-day operation. It's a property management company. They lease space and they, you know, they provide coffee and clean the bathrooms on top of some other nice necessities, but they're not necessities, um, amenities, but it's a property management company. Uh, they didn't really own the property cause Adam Newman owned it and other people. Um, and they weren't really doing anything crazy. They call themselves a tech company, but that's cause you could book rooms on a website platform. Well, you can do that in a lot of apartments as well. Like it's not that special. Um, but just because of the story that, that Adam was able to weave and that the company was able to live on, that's how they skyrocketed to that valuation that they had. And I think that's socially a really interesting thing to think about, but I mean, business wise, like just how did nobody see that? And how did we get to this point where we work and on a smaller scale, so many other companies just have these crazy valuations for quite honestly, something that's not that proprietary. Yeah, I think it's like, you know, they have this great, what people perceive as a great model. And it's like, how quickly can we scale this and essentially own the market? So I was reading uh, a good amount on 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 uh, SoftBank and kind of their strategy here. And mm-hmm. I was looking into another company that they've invested hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in. You might have heard of it called WAG, which is essentially the dog yeah. walking app. And I was reading why they keep making these huge investments that don't make any sense. And what they're doing is essentially shocking the market. So if you're building a competitor to rework or to wag, and all of a sudden they get this gigantic investment to move into every market possible, you're going to be like, oh man, I don't know if I stand a chance. So you're going to be scared or they're just going to do it or they're just going to expand that fast. So it's a combination of, uh, a land grab of essentially owning as much of the market as possible, as quickly as possible. But it's also, let's just shock the market and prevent other players from coming in here because they don't even stand a chance given how much funding we have. Mm-hmm. So that, that seemed to happen with uh, that tried, they tried that at Uber, you know, Uber was expanding as quickly as they could just going into every market, whether or not they would prove it out, whether or not that market could have been profitable. They mm-hmm. just kept getting funding from SoftBank. Uh, and it seems like the exact same thing is happening from WAG because WAG has uh, competitors, but those competitors are not receiving hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars from SoftBank. So SoftBank is essentially just flooding this money into those investments so they can own the market share, not be profitable for a while. But at the end of the day, once they become profitable, it's, they're going to own the whole market. Has that ever worked though? Like, is there an example of a SoftBank company that is now making the money? Uh, well, the 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 fund isn't old enough for us to say whether or not it's gonna gonna work or not. Um, but as of this moment, I can't think of a successful uh, company that has done that. And if I were to point to one, I'd probably say Uber, even though they're not even doing that well. Yeah, I mean so that's it's like my Uber's the brand, have... right? So it's like Uber. Yeah, you don't say I'm gonna get a Lyft. You say I'm gonna get an Uber, and at the end of the day, the reason you say that is because Uber scaled so fast that they became the default in people's mind. And they couldn't have done that without that much funding. Honestly, they just couldn't have. 
So, you know, it's a double-edged sword. It's like, do I take all this capital and scale as quickly as I can and risk going from a $47 billion valuation down to 7.5? Or do I scale slowly and risk somebody coming along and taking the market from me? Yeah. I mean, they obviously went one way that monetarily is not working out. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah I think. And I fun think fact. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Evan. No, you. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I mean, as, as SoftBank kind of prepares to uh, launch Vision Fund 2, I, th- I think they've pretty much learned their lesson with um, with uh, kind of just bankrolling any uh, any company that, that falls on their doorstep. So they're, uh, they're looking at uh, profits and shorter, um, you know, shorter runways to profit for their vision fund too, you know, assuming they actually get the money for it. Uh, I think vision fund one has closed, but uh, I think after this whole uh, we work debacle, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to raise enough for uh, the second one. But, uh, Evan, yeah. go ahead. Well, I was going to give a fun fact, but before I do that, uh, so another shady part of this whole equation is Saudi Arabia yeah. provided yeah. most of the money. Yeah. yeah, provided most of the money for this fund. Yeah. I think it was like $30, $30 billion of it, so 30% of the fund. I could, I could totally be wrong there, but I feel like that, that number is in my head. Uh, was from Saudi oil money, the, yeah. the, basically the, the royal family. Um, so, uh, fun fact on uh, Adam Newman, the founder, <clears throat> he uh, was born and grew up in a lesbian cult. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, elaborate on that. <laughs> what? So, if you listen to uh, his How I Built This, or it was a podcast, I don't know if it's the How I Built This or uh, one of his other podcasts. Yeah, he grew up in like a, um, a lesbian cult. His He was adopted into a, this all female like hippie group like he called it i think he called it a cult so it's pretty crazy upbringing he's just like a crazy hippie that obviously yeah, has like, a lot of problems he like walks around barefoot and stuff wild <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> i have to look into that more i didn't i didn't know that piece of the puzzle yeah, fact check that fact check that and that's a perfect transition into our next next segment oh look at that Wow. Mr. Smooth over here now been podcasting for two years. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, that's right. Why don't you go ahead and lead into that next segment, Nate? <laughs> so you brought up fact checking, uh, you know, especially online where this podcast lives, people could just claim and, and say whatever they want to. Maybe that was total slander about Adam Newman that you just spoke there. Um, but, you know, that's what people call fake news. Uh, if that is fake, but obviously that's something on social channels that are a lot of people are bringing up. Um, and it was a big deal in 2016 with the election. Uh, and it's becoming a big deal now because somehow we're already at 2020 and the next presidential election is coming up. Um, there's been so many stories over the past couple of years, and we've talked about all of them here on the podcast about Facebook specifically and how they handle fake news and you know, were they an agent of Russia in some way or or shape or form? Uh, did they influence the election? And how is Zuckerberg handling that? Uh, well, they have more. The basically the long and short of that is they have more restrictions in place, but they're also not really handling it. Where as the other day, Jack just came out at Twitter mm-hmm. and said, "We are banning all political ads globally." Uh, I. Th- think starting in January, I'm not sure, maybe immediately, um, but just taking the complete opposite stance and, and saying that 
social media in their platform specifically is not the place um, to to buy political eyeballs. Uh, and it's a very different stance than, than Facebook. And that opens up a whole conversation about, you know, what is free speech and, you know, should you be able to buy it? Yeah, pretty big deal. It's a huge debate. And personally, uh, I take the side of uh, Facebook. Really? I do. Yes. Um, and I say that because political advertising has been around since there's been politics, right? So it's just like the medium of these advertisements and these and the channels that these advertisements are delivered have changed. The, the big difference has become the ability to reach the end consumer that you're trying to reach. So the targeting has improved so much that it can literally become a weapon, right? So I don't think you should just ban all political ads. I think that's a very, one of the interesting things I read from an article is it's very fatalistic. It's like not even trying to solve the problem. It's just saying, let's just push it aside because you're, you're never going to be able to totally ban political ads. Mm. Somebody's going to figure out a way to make a documentary that slanders Trump and then push an ad behind that documentary. So is that technically a political ad or is that an ad for that documentary? So I, in my opinion, yeah, it's just super short-sighted to just ban political ads. I don't think it's possible. I just think that the route Mark Zuckerberg is taking is a better long-term view of the problem. It's we are trying to make this as transparent as possible. There are definitely going to be issues we acknowledge that there are issues and we're trying to fix them. But for long term, we believe that there should be uh, the ability for politicians to advertise their viewpoints so they can reach a larger audience beyond who already follows them. Um, and Facebook's not going to ever go away. So it's like it's just going to continue to, to uh, evolve. And politicians have to have a way to advertise what they do. So I just, I just think I, I side with what Facebook's doing. Because uh, long term, I think it makes more sense to actually try to solve the problem and improve the quality and um, accuracy of these ads rather than just say, no, you can't, you no longer can do political ads because then then people are just going to move their ad spend off of Twitter and Facebook and just go to YouTube or go to television or go to these streaming services. They're going to figure out a way to reach people whether they like it or not. So might as mm -hmm. well just try to fix the problem now on Facebook. Yeah, you know, I I think I agree with you, Evan. I've been kind of back and forth on this mm -hmm. on this issue since it's been brought up, but I definitely do not like the notion that tech companies are the ones who are going to determine basically what free speech is for us. And yeah. you know, that's just that's just a dangerous precedent to set to set. And I think it's really interesting that you already thought of a loophole to the whole thing, Evan, saying that okay, someone makes a, a documentary slandering Trump, and then they're they're putting an ad behind that. How's you know, how's that different from a normal political ad? So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's, I do think that there needs to be more fact checking. And I wonder what the timeline of people just looking into it more. Like, I don't know. I would like to know the percentage of people that you could show fake news to that's just going to take it for what it is at the surface versus look into it and actually figure out that it's not true. I'd say I the majority of people higher. are just going to look at it. Yeah. 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 And just say this is this is because it's coming from somebody that I uh, so like all you know all the Trump supporters on Facebook. So personally, I'll, I can say this confidently uh, because I've uh, seen you know I just understand the power of Facebook. 
I think Trump's president right now because of Facebook. Um, yeah, definitely. He, he put up like 6 million video ads to Hillary Clinton's like tens of thousands of video ads. And then he obviously used Cambridge Analytica data uh, mm-hmm. to target people. So I think that given the reach and target, target accuracy he had, I think that's why he's president right now. Um, but with that being said, um, yeah, people are going to look at people like Trump and his ads and, and believe him because of the place in society he is. And they don't want to spend the time going and fact checking. Um, and, and that's just a societal problem. And, um, you know, if you're going to be, if you're, if you're willing to be misinformed like that and never look deeper into these things, uh, really that's, that's on you. That's your, you know, that's your weakness. Yeah. Evan, I saw you, I saw you tweet something this week. So Mark Cuban tweeted, um, about, uh, you're not allowed, you wouldn't be allowed to label yourself as a news network unless like 70 or 80% of what you were putting out was fact checked. I saw you retweeted that and you're like, this is a great idea. However, it, it wouldn't work at scale. You need AI or something to do that. I mean, I, w- I wish so bad that that could be, that could be possible because I remember just the other day sitting and watching the news with my dad and they were talking about all the stuff going on in Syria, about how we uh, pulled out of there. And they showed this video and it was all these guns going off and explosions. And I'm sitting there on the couch. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the knob creek. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, God, this is, this is terrible, man. Like those, those <laughs> poor people over there. Then I'm cruising on Twitter like a day later and I see that video again and you know, it's oh, fake news, fake news. And immediately I'm like, I don't want to believe that. Like, I don't want to buy into that. And then sure enough, they came out and admitted that it was a fake video and apologized for it. And I'm like, how, how does that happen on one of these huge news networks that millions of people are tuning into to watch and get their, get their information and news from, how does that even happen? And it's, it's just scary that it even can happen in, in 2019. Yeah, I would uh, I would like to back up just a minute uh, and kind of talk about something you mentioned, Evan. Um, you know, you mentioned that you think Facebook is uh, really going to stick around uh, for for a while. You know, and it's really not going to go away. Um, and lately, I don't uh, if you guys have seen like the political debates and whatnot. There's been a lot of t- uh, uh, talk about breaking up these really large, breaking up or regulating these uh, really large tech companies like. Uh, like Facebook and Google, right? Uh, you know, they're being labeled as uh, anti-competitive, um, monopolistic, uh, anti-capitalism, you know, anti-free market, uh, just because they uh, keep buying up these new ideas and, uh, you know, all across the world and they, uh, they shut it down or they copy it or they, uh, they just kill the, uh, kill the company. So just Facebook alone has acquired over 75 startups. So uh, I actually want to hear what you guys uh, think is going to happen, you know, depending on what the outcome of the, um, of this election next year is, uh, you know, what do you guys think could happen to some of these bigger tech companies like Facebook and Google? Yeah. Uh, I personally don't think they should be broken up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the reason they're so big is because they've built a superior service that people want to use and them acquiring is uh can be viewed in a couple ways so them acquiring let's say instagram instagram was growing really fast this is one of the fastest actually so facebook's actually acquired the two fastest growing apps of all time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. instagram and whatsapp and whatsapp yeah so when they acquired those two you can look at it in one of two ways you can say could have could instagram have ever 
reach the point where it, where it would replace Facebook? And I think the answer is a definitive, absolutely no. It never could have. Yeah. And same not. thing with WhatsApp. Could it have ever? No. And you can never have. And so what Facebook does when they acquire these companies is they give them an additional platform to grow on, which I think is great for the consumer because the experience is elevated. Now, what I think should happen to these companies is I think they should be regulated and they should be stringent. Uh, people should be stringent on you know what they're allowed to do as far as targeting and data they're collecting. As far as breaking them up would just ruin the experience for the consumers because you're breaking up uh, not only teams and talent, but you're breaking up the resources that can be allocated to allowing these experiences and these platforms to become elevated well, and these great experiences that we're used to. That, uh, that, that does happen a lot. Um, a lot of these really big companies uh, will buy out smaller startups that are building competing products and will literally just kill the company. Um, happens, yeah. happens quite a bit. Amazon's notorious for that. Yeah. Uh, they've got, I, I don't even know how many, I'm sure over a hundred acquisitions, uh, and, and stakes and countless other companies. So, you know, you, you, it gets to a point where, you know, you really need to ask yourself, um, or we, I mean, we all need to ask, um, if, you know, that type of behavior is really restricting, uh, that free market ideology that, um, you know, has been the biggest driving factor behind uh, entrepreneurship and, and starting new companies and, and just capitalism in general, right? I want to tie that exact point uh, back to something, Evan, that you had said earlier as well about if you get tricked by fake news, then, you know, that's something that you got to overcome. Um, mm -hmm. So like you said, Facebook bought Instagram, bought WhatsApp. Nico, like you said, Amazon has bought all these companies. Um these these major tech companies are so extremely powerful and we said that you know it, it's not crazy to say that trump is president because of facebook yeah that is wild <laughs> like the fact yeah. that our our democracy has gone one way you know whether it's positive or negative whatever you think it's gone away because of what somebody was able to do on a single platform or maybe on two platforms maybe google as well um but these these private com or public companies, but the, these you know just businesses that are are in no way a, a governmental entity, mm -hmm. uh, are are impacting our lives in in crazy crazy ways, both through how they directly impact it and through their influence on yeah, the government. Yeah. Um, in in that sense, should one platform be that powerful? Should everybody get? all of their news and see all this content and be influenced by it when by be influenced by what they see and make decisions based on what they see on one platform. So going back to the fake news thing. Yeah. There's a lot of fake news out there that if you sit for 30 seconds and say, wait, actually, no, that's, that's clearly fake. That stuff exists. But I think the most insidious fake news is the stuff that is like slightly a, a bending of the truth. You know, it's slightly worded in a way to make you feel X when really the reality is Y. Uh, and when you're on Facebook and you're interacting with that, you're creating a bubble for yourself. You're telling the algorithm, I want to see more of this and it's going to give you more of that. And so when when you get yourself in this bubble and that keeps becoming reinforced and then you're served ads that also tell you that, because you've put yourself in this audience. I mean, there, I think, I think it's obvious that maybe we should have a little bit of competition at that point. 
Yeah, I mean, you can look at it uh, as, you know, competition, but where's, first of all, where is it going to come from? Uh, is a company going to be able to reach the scale and the user experience that a Twitter or Facebook uh, has already? Um, TikTok seems to be moving that way, uh, but TikTok uh, was acquired <laughs> and has billions and billions of dollars behind it as well. Yeah, and um, that's also probably the Chinese government. So, yeah. 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 So, uh, in order to create these experiences that we're so used to, it's going to take a company like a Facebook or, um, you know, a Twitter to do that. Uh, can there be a player that comes in and, and improves the experience? Uh, sure. But are they going to reach that scale? Uh, probably not. Um, I just think that we, we have these great, you're looking, so we're looking at the negative of these platforms right now, which we mm -hmm. should, we should definitely be digging into the negative, but let's also take a step back and look at the world that we're in because of them. So yes, Facebook has some major problems, but the world will not be anything close to what it is now without Facebook as far as connectivity across borders of countries and uh, connectivity just even within the United States. And it's free. So it's either do we want to pay a lot for these services that Facebook provides or do we want them free and do we want to have issues along the way? I, I, I would guess that you want to reach the scale that Facebook has and, and have it free for everybody and, and have these issues and work them out long term. I mean, again, I don't ever think social media is going to go away. If we break up Facebook, then it's just going to change the medium again and we're going to have issues on all the other ones. But, but but the question still stands, you know, if these private companies, you know, non-governmental non entities ha are, are able to exercise so much influence on public policy and politics, you know, should they really go unchecked? I mean, just off of just based off of the premise that they um, that they collect, you know, connect people all across the world. Well, they've gone unchecked and they're no longer going unchecked. Mm hmm. So, I mean, it's going in the right direction. I mean, you're not, there's no such thing as just building something like a Facebook and not running into problems. And I think we just have to work through them. I mean, Facebook's arguably, you know, them and Google and, and Amazon, they're the groundworks and they're the infrastructure behind our daily lives. I mean, we have one day delivery from Amazon. That wouldn't happen if they weren't that big. We have yep. every bit of information at our fingertips and we're going to have artificial intelligence to the point that we can't even imagine because of Google and the amount of data they have. We, we're going to have the connectivity with the entire world that it would never have been possible without Facebook. And that connectivity is going to improve our lives in ways we can't even imagine because Facebook's the size that it is. I'm fine with there being some issues and there being a bad president along the way if long term we have these amazing services. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm fine with the fact that in the short term, there's going to be issues, but as long as we're actually really trying to solve them and checking these companies and the government getting involved in the short term, that's great. But long term, I'm on the side of Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, and you know the founders over at Google because long term and what they've done for us today, just our lives have been completely changed. Absolutely. Definitely. I think it's a really nuanced uh, issue, and obviously we've only scratched the surface here, but we could probably talk for, for hours and hours about positives and negatives. Yeah. I mean, when people talk shit about Mark Zuckerberg, I'm just amazed. Like, sure. <laughs> I mean, he's also a robot. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, there's you memes all over. It's like it's fine yeah. to it's fine to like joke. To me, like when people when people talk shit about Mark Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. I just I just can't believe that there. Are, I get why people are upset, but like don't try to like embarrass or talk shit about uh, him as a person uh, because you don't know what it's been like growing the world's biggest platform along the way. Uh, he had no idea when he was 18 years old that he'd be running into these issues and he'd have 2.2 billion people on his service. So it's like, I just can't believe my, my, my ears when people just try to try to deface this guy who's completely changed the world just because of, you know, one, one issue that he's run into along the way. I mean, people just have such a, you know, short-term view on these things. Uh, it just kind of upsets me that when people really try to dig into Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos and these people, um, given what they've built for society. All right. That's enough about uh, Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you know, the, the argument's still up in the air on whether or not Facebook or Twitter is going to be right in the long run. But again, I, I side with uh, Facebook. I'm definitely a Mark Zuckerberg fan. Uh, another company we threw around in that discussion a lot was Google. Uh, Google is one of the big three or four, big four companies in the world. Um, everybody knows who they are. And they just acquired Fitbit. So Fitbit, uh, the wearables and fitness tracker, um, got acquired for $2.1 billion. So what do you guys think about uh, that acquisition? Uh, Evan, I'll give you a little plug here. You had a cool uh, I told you so moment on Twitter that I saw. You tweeted on Christmas Eve of 2018, uh, Google needs to acquire Fitbit. And just to give reference um the stock price right now is at seven dollars and 19 cents when you tweeted that is at four dollars and 62 cents so if uh anyone took your advice to heart they owe you they owe you some commission i think um obviously (laughs) now back to what you just asked i think this is this is a great uh great move for them especially with apple getting as much data as -hmm. much um, progress as they're making in the wearable space i think this is just like you said early on, something that just makes sense for Google. Yeah, without a question. I mean, wearables and fitness tracking is not even, it's in its infancy still, believe it or not. Uh, We're not even using the fitness abilities on our Apple watches uh, to their potential. Uh, Fitbit, same thing. Uh, People aren't doing it yet because they're not as incentivized as they will be in the future. Uh, In the future, your company and your insurance will incentivize you to use these apps to their, for, to their potential. And you're going to want to do exercise because it's going to be fun and you're going to be rewarded for it. Uh, so the data that these apps and these devices are producing are worth way more than $2.1 billion. Uh, so I, I knew all along that Fitbit would have to get acquired by Google. There was no other route for that to ever go, um, in my opinion. I mean, Apple... Uh, had the, the Apple Watch and they were quickly uh, dominating the market. Fitbit has always been in uh, the lead and now they're moving uh, and they're in the, like the top three or four uh, and they have a great brand. They arguably have the best brand of the wearable space. So it was just, I, I just knew Google had to acquire them. It's just a matter of when. Um, so yeah, I mean, Fitbit has 28 million users. So right there, that's uh almost a 10th of the United States population uh, using Fitbits. And that's a lot of data uh, on uh, these people's fitness lives and just their lives in general. It tracks sleep, activity, 
uh, you know, calories burned. I mean, you collect you if you own all that data, uh, that data alone, in my opinion, is probably worth more than two point one billion dollars. Definitely. Uh, you brought up you brought up a good point there early on, um, talking about insurance and being rewarded. And this is a topic that we talked about in my one of my classes, uh, UK last semester, my fintech class with Shane Haddon, actually, which is if if companies have all this data and it's easy to track us, is it fair for you to get cheaper insurance if you're being tracked by some sort of wearable tech and they know that you're taking better care of yourself than somebody else? Like they know you're running a couple miles each week and going to the gym in the mornings. Do you think that's fair to pay less for your insurance if companies are tracking and knowing that you're taking better care of yourself? I mean, this is like the argument of like, uh, is it fair Facebook is free because they're putting ads on your feed? (laughs) So it's like, I personally think that people are always, as much as we say we hate these companies are taking our data, and while we should be cautious of how much data they're taking from us, people are always, yeah, and what exactly, what data they're taking people are always going to be willing to give up some amount of data for a better experience and for a better quality of life. There always will be. I mean, it's like, it's a transaction. So you're, you're transacting your personal data for, in this case, uh, insurance discounts. Mm-hmm. So in, in this case, almost you're literally getting paid for your data. Getting paid to wear a watch. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good that's a good outlook on it. Um, I mean, I think we're gonna further progress down this path of we're just we're okay with giving away our data. Um, I know we talked about it a lot in in that class, and I think especially as these younger generations who have been born with phones and computers in their hands, it's gonna be not even a second thought in their minds um, as as yeah. privacy and and sharing data like that. I think that. It's just going to continue down this path that we're seeing right now. Yeah, I mean, data now is more expensive than oil, so it's worth more than oil. And I don't know if this is a fair comparison, but if you had an oil field in your backyard, would you be willing to give that up for money? For sure. Uh, I don't. I don't know if I buy the data is the new oil metaphor personally. That's just that might just be me. Well, the the value of it has eclipsed the value of oil, though. Like, well, it's the it's, amount it's, of money. It's not, necessarily the, it. it's not necessarily just the value of the raw data. Obviously, if you're a big, uh, a really big tech company like Google or Apple or uh, you know one of those guys, they're willing to buy huge amounts of data um, because they know that they can get insane. You know, they can extrapolate extremely valuable insight from the data to sweep into their existing product offering right um for uh for the regular data marketplace though you know the real value uh of data data driven decisions etc is in that you know being able to extract that valuable insight or uh some deeper value so i think uh i follow this guy on twitter named adam singer he's a former former uh, googler i think he uh he compared it to solar you know, rather than data being the new oil, I think it's the new solar. You know, it's not a it's not a limited resource like oil, um, but it's uh, it's definitely definitely got some inherent value to it. Yeah, I mean, to take the long term view on what data really is, is uh, 
artificial intelligence is by far the, the biggest invention uh, humanity has and ever will create. Um, and in order for that to exist, it's got to have a ton of data. And so mm-hmm. in order for us to have these amazing seamless experiences in life, it's going to take a lot of data and we're going to be willing to spend a good amount of money for those experiences, especially the companies that are creating those experiences. So it's like, if you think of artificial intelligence as like a vehicle, then I like to think of data as the oil that's, you know, powering that vehicle. Uh, that That's kind of how I've looked at it is like, it's, it's a means to an end. It's not, it's a means to a better experience. It's, it's feeding, it's fuel for artificial intelligence at the end of the day. Um, and, and I'm willing personally to give up some data for an artificially intelligent experience because an artificially intelligent experience uh, is amazing. And if you listening don't understand what an artificially intelligent experience is, if you like your playlists on Spotify, you can thank artificial intelligence. So that's my view on data and I'm fine with, uh, you know, giving some up and that's the concern with Facebook or with uh, Fitbit and Google is, is Google going to use this fitness tracking data from these Fitbits to target you with ads? So let's say you only sleep uh, four hours a night and Google knows that, then you're going to start getting uh, ads on your feed for uh, medicine that helps you sleep. Or let's say uh, you don't go to the gym and Google knows that about you, then you're going to start getting ads from your local gym. So it's like that is personally, I think an invasion of privacy and Google shouldn't do that. Uh, And Google's saying they're not going to do that. Yeah, I guess it's just a lot of it is the the type of data that I can't decide if I want to say data or data. I'm going to go data. Um, I think it just kind of depends on the type of data that they're going to, they're going to be interested into. It all just comes down to what, what would you be embarrassed for someone to be able to scroll through and see about you? You know, if if somebody can go through and say, well, this Logan, he's a lazy piece of crap. Like he's not, he's only going to the gym like once every month. He's only sleeping, you know, however much, however uh, many hours a night. And then they've also got the location services. Like I don't, you know, there's, there's some data that you just don't want to have out there tied to your name yeah. all the time. A good example of, uh, you know, some of these bigger companies using data to uh, bolster their product offering and expand into other verticals is Apple. Cause Apple recently, um, started moving into the healthcare sector. So now they're using their technology, primarily the uh, Apple Watch and then um, some hospital applications to um, get better uh, data-driven insights into how to, better, how to treat patients uh, more efficiently, how to uh, kind of customize the patient experience in, uh, in hospitals and really make that healthcare experience more personal. So that's, uh, that's very cool. Yeah, and let's let's say that uh, over time, Google and Apple and some of these companies collect enough data that they can heal all types of um, diseases. Let's let's just say, imagine that the only way we ever achieve uh, solving some of these terrible diseases that we're faced with is data. I don't know a single person in the world that's going to say, "I don't want you to collect my fitness data uh, and save somebody else's life." Yeah. Right. So it's like, again, we're faced with this idea of 
are we going to be willing to give up maybe a little bit of data that's uncomfortable in order to save a lot of people's lives because that data goes directly into research? Hmm. Mm -hmm. Good view on it. Uh, yeah. So I always try to take an optimist. I mean, I'm just a complete optimist and that's gotten me in a lot of trouble. Uh, but I think in the world of technology, you have to be. Because if yeah. you just focus on the bad, it's going to be a miserable life, especially when yeah. it comes to technology. Yeah, you can go down the rabbit hole if you start looking at all the negatives that uh, technology could produce. You'll go down the, the black mirror rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be pretty bad. Yeah. But it's important to go down those rabbit holes because, uh, you know, that's how we prevent terrible things from happening. Right. All right. Well, um, I don't have anything else as far as news goes. Do you guys, can you guys think of anything, anything cool happening in Lexington you can think of, uh, Logan, anything being talked about at awesome Inc? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll plug some events going on. Um, we got startup weekend coming up over at awesome Inc. So if you're wanting to scratch that itch to get out and test an idea you have, uh, work on some team building stuff and then also Get some free food along with it. Well, not free. You got to buy a ticket, I guess. But maybe we'll work on getting a discount code for the next episode and then our listeners can get a discount for it. Anyway, uh, Startup Weekend is awesome. I've done it three years in a row now. Really enjoyed it every time. I think uh, if you're listening to this, you'd probably be interested in it. Um, that's about all I've got right now. Nice. Nico, anything cool happening in Louisville? Uh, I think we've got Startup Week uh, next week, I think. Um, so that'll be, that'll be a really fun time. Uh, Techstars is, uh, is, uh, putting it on and, and helping, um, helping host it. So that will be a very fun experience. So if you're in the Louisville area and, um, want to get out into the startup community, you know, break in and, and kind of meet everyone, I highly recommend, uh, coming out to that. You can get your tickets at startuplouisville.com. <laughs>